Welcome to The Road Less Traveled. I am your host, DB, and today's episode is going to be just one single story. I don't even know how I forgot this story when I was going over the, uh, I don't know, I guess compilation of stories from my jail era. The uh, first two years that I did incarcerated were in jail. I was exposed to a bunch of fun, uh, friendly, interesting characters in that uh, that place. I was at two different facilities, which I won't go into the actual uh, state or location that I was incarcerated in, mostly because this entire podcast is being hosted with the idea of anonymity, and so far it's sticking, which is good, because uh, it's, you know, still still working through some things myself, and I am I'm ashamed of where I was at, so... This is my way of just kind of working through uh, not only the PTSD that can come from being uh, incarcerated for five years, even if it was an accident that I did to myself and unfortunately to somebody else. So this is the standout story. This is the the big one. If uh, if anyone ever asked me of like, hey, how would you describe jail? And we're like, well, here's one story for you. I don't know how I didn't mention it earlier, but there is a lot of foundational work that I've had to do to bring everybody up to speed. And I know I'm bouncing all over the place as far as these episodes and continuity go. But thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for staying uh, current or as much as you can. This is an episodic format, but you guys are more than welcome to jump around um, all over the place, find a topic you like, and just kind of dive in. So this one, let's get right into the story. I'm um, about a month and a half in, maybe two months into my uh, incarceration. You know, I'm still awaiting answers. I'm still awaiting trial. I'm, I've already done a preliminary hearing. Um, and right now, I'm just kind of settling in. Because that, unfortunately, is what jail is. It's just a waiting game. I mean, honest to God, like, that is the worst part about it. It's not like the fear of being stabbed or assaulted or raped or any of those things. Because, honestly, that's not like a daily occurrence. That's not happening each and every single day. You know, people don't have time for that. And the correctional officers or the COs there are there to ensure our safety. Does it happen all the time where they're, you know, constantly vigilant and uh, on their P's and Q's? No, absolutely not. Honestly, most of them were complacent because they're just as bored. It is, generally speaking, a very dull experience. However, when things do happen... They are generally above and beyond what you would normally experience. Like, if you were to, say, get into an argument with somebody, you don't want to have that with somebody in jail because things can escalate very quickly. Misunderstandings can happen at the drop of a hat. People are ready to go because they have a lot of pent-up aggression. How about you get locked up with a bunch of people you don't want to be around, get told to do what you don't want to do each and every single day, and you can't get a moment's silence. You can barely get any sleep. So all you're doing is just kind of pushing down all that rage and all that uh, repressed anger, and you just, you know, you want to lash out. So I've seen it happen. I've seen 
just insane amounts of violence. I've seen people lose it over the smallest things. So there was always at the back of my mind a little bit of trepidation going into any situation. I never wanted to start anything. I always wanted to be respectful. And so the first few months, like honestly, I didn't try to talk to many people. I tried to keep myself very reserved and put myself in a more observational kind of position to see who is about what, how does the dynamics work around here? And like, you know, where do I fit into all of that? So eventually like those things wear off. You do have to start having some sort of normalcy. So my routine would be, you know, read some books, play some cards with the people around me. But the unit that I was in at the time, um, I had gone from uh, you know, intake, and then I'd been placed into a bed, which was a medical unit when I first got in. And then from there, I went to level three. But after level three, I went to what was known as an incentive unit. And the incentive unit was designed for people that were facing a significant amount of time or were also um, younger. So we had some people that were um, 18 years old and I remember one kid went by the name of Blur. That was his like street name. Uh, there was, oh man, some kid with glasses that I can't really remember his name. Uh, and I don't want to give like first names for identify or identification reasons or blah, 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 whatever. Uh, so I'll try to stick to just street names if I remember them. I think is honestly, it was something with the J. It doesn't matter. But anyway, these two kids, they were only 18 years old. Uh, they were in for uh, separate crimes. They weren't brought in together. So I'd play cards with them just because uh, they just didn't seem as hardcore as the other people around me. Most of the other people around me were in similar positions as myself. They were facing five or more years um, as far as their potential sentences were going. And that's why the incentive unit was created was because they wanted to have these people that were facing all this amount of time to have, I hate to say like a more positive experience, but it was designed to keep us more docile, if that makes sense. Like, like even, even the people that designed jail, like understood to a degree that um, the mental strain of like facing that, even if it's brought on like by yourself, even if you put yourself in that position, like you don't want to exacerbate that, you know, to a degree we have to maintain some sort of control or else like, I mean, what is somebody who's facing life without, what do they have to lose? Right? What is somebody who's facing 10, 15, 20 plus years? What do they really have to lose by trying to make a break for it or just, you know, losing their patience and just going at, you know, attacking somebody, attacking the CEO, attacking their nearest fellow, whatever. So the incentive unit was slightly different, not significantly, but they would, it was actually for me personally worse because at least in the normal units, they would uh, say in between quote unquote, free time, they would tell us to read, write or sleep, but they wanted us to just be quiet. We weren't allowed to get up and wander around from our beds. It was, we had to stay in that one little position unless we were going to the bathroom. And if we went to the bathroom, we weren't allowed to go in like pairs or groups. It would be like one or two at a time. 
and we would have to rotate in and out and the CO would generally be watching from the desk or if there was a shortage, they would be watching from the control unit, uh, watching the monitors and basically keeping an eye on us through cameras. And there was no, um, there was no cameras in the bathroom. So that is why they would limit the amount of people that could go in there at the same time, because that was usually where fights took place. I uh, spoke on a previous episode. If you ever saw someone put on their yard shoes and go to the bathroom, some shit was about to go down. You only were allowed to use shoes when you went to the rec yard because shoes gave you a little bit of grip on the floor. Whereas we used to have to always wear shower slippers or sandals. And those things would just flip off if you were trying to run or fight or do anything. So you always like you could become aware of little things. Now the bathroom was like a multi-purpose thing. It was where we also had our sinks. Sinks were the only place we could get water from. We didn't have water fountains. So a lot of people had to get their water directly from the sink. And a lot of people would buy, uh, coffee pots or hot water pots and they would boil that water to make it a little cleaner or they would use it for their coffee or their tea or whatever uh usually juice packets we were given to uh but you had to pay for all this stuff it's not like coffee was given freely it's not like juice was given freely except for once a day during dinner you did get a little bit of juice in the incentive unit, and it was out of one of those big yellow um, plastic jugs with the red lid, like one of the igloo cooler things, and we were allowed to get just a tiny bit of juice uh, since we were in the incentive unit. Now, I never uh, had any of that juice. It seemed kind of gross. I didn't want to. I didn't want anything that was communal, if that made sense. Like anything where it was like batch made other than of course the trays of food that i had to eat in order not to die like i didn't want anything beyond whatever the minimum thing they were giving us and i did have to start buying commissary or ordering from the online store in order to supplement the amount of uh, food that they gave us because it's not much it is not enough for a grown man to live off of i'm six feet tall now, I went in weighing about 150-something. I dropped down to uh, like 138 by the end. So I know I'm rambling on and giving you a lot of what you think is extraneous details here, but trust me, it's all going to tie into in just a moment. So I mentioned the lack of food, and I also mentioned the juice. Now, this is what caused this big incident. And I'm going to tell it slightly out of order because I want to give you the reason why this incident happened first. And I spoke on a previous episode saying, someone told me that you can get through jail and through prison by just being respectful, saying thank you, excuse me, I'm sorry, basic manners will get you through. Because the biggest thing in prison is respect we don't have any room like we're all just crammed into the same little location everyone's always loud and obnoxious and just annoying to no end so when you interact directly one-on-one with somebody you shouldn't be a disrespectful piece of shit because again you don't know what that person's going through either mentally or physically 
You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what they're facing, especially in jail. Like to a degree, you like people ask you, you know, what are you in for? What are you sentencing? Like, oh, have they come at you with the deal? But you don't know that of everybody. So the only thing that we um, really have, I guess, is gossip or just talking. Like that's the real currency that we have is information. So knowing what somebody's about or what they will or potentially do or where they're coming from, that's very important. So let me set the stage here. We had two porters or two inmates that acted as our custodial staff and each unit would always have two sentenced workers. So that means that two people that were doing county time or time in jail, sentenced to jail time, they would be picked to clean the units. They would distribute the food to us. They would clean up after us. They would take out the garbage, things like that. Now, they were all like they for um, excuse me, got little incentives on top of that. So say they clean the unit, they got to stay out for a little bit of extra free time, or maybe they got to use the phone after everybody else got locked down, which kind of sucked too, because then everyone would listen in on their conversation. That's not a really (laughs) great incentive. Cool. Um, But they would also get extra food at the end. So they hand out every tray of food and say one or two or three or four extras were given out because uh, it was just easier to give extra trays out to say we had 60 people there and 64 trays were given. Maybe one tray got lost um, during transportation. Uh, Maybe one was a little light as far as the food, whatever. So there was like certain ways that they could make it up. And that's why those extra trays were there. Those extra trays then went to the porters. Now, things could easily get fucked up from there because I don't really care about the racial side of things. Like to me, everyone is equal or at least has a starting line as far as equality to me. If you act a certain way towards me, you know, respect can be lost or gained. But as far as neutrality goes, I try to view people neutrally and then judge them accordingly after I actually have an interaction with them. Um, And this is again, a very, simplistic way of looking at things. Uh, I'm not going to get all the way into the psychology of stuff, but you could possibly see how things can get a little out of control there because our porters at the time, one was Cuban and another, I want to say was uh, Mexican to me again, doesn't matter. But when you're dealing with gangs and each gang is from a specific race, you can see that things can slip quite easily if favoritism is going in a certain like direction. Now, the officers are supposed to limit that. They're supposed to say, hey, the porters aren't allowed to give out trays because that's where these issues will arise. Um, so the porters, thankfully, they wouldn't do any of that stuff, but they would hand out like extra juice because, I mean... Who cares, right? Well, apparently some people do. So a black guy who went by the street name of Chicago got some juice from the Cuban porter. Now, Chicago went back up at the end of lunch after everyone had gotten their tray and everyone had gotten their juice 
and he wanted to get more juice. So he asked for some, and the porter says, no, I'm, you know, everyone, you already got juice and whatnot. And Chicago says, what are you, the police? Which is not the thing to ever say to somebody in jail or prison. You don't call them the police. You don't call them a cop. You don't call them a snitch unless you got fucking evidence. And you don't, you definitely don't call them a bitch because if you do, you're fighting. You are getting either your ass whooped or you're getting jumped. And that's just how it's supposed to be. Because if somebody of your race or your gang overhears the fact that you didn't do anything, that you did not stand up for yourself, you not only make yourself look like a bitch, you're making the whole race or the gang look like bitches. And now they got problems with you. So there is a an entire dynamic that's going on behind the scenes that you or at least I didn't know about because I wasn't involved. I wasn't with it. I didn't quite, you know, subscribe to that mentality, but I did need to know about it. So I became a passive observer to all of these things. So I didn't see or hear any of that interaction, mind you. This is all information that got fed to me after the incident took place. Now, lunch is over. It's done. The internet action has already taken place. I'm by my bed. Uh, the beds are such that it is uh, four long rows with uh, beds on the left and right of those rows. And it's uh, where we get like a little cubby and we kind of have like almost a little uh, U-shape to where our bed is in there and we're kind of like nestled in. So it's, it's very individually like designed. It's not bunk beds. I get bunk beds in a different facility and also in prison. And that is very confined and very jam-packed. This unit was just an open floor where everyone, no bunk beds, and it held about uh, 70 people. So I was in the very first row, but at the very back. Now, the two porters were always one and two. They were always the first two. I was like number 20-something, whatever. So... One of the porters was an older Cuban guy. I mentioned he was Cuban, but now he's an older Cuban guy. And he was like a week away from getting out. So here's how I'm going to, I'm going to tell the story based off of uh, how it was told after the fact to me, because otherwise it is a very confusing thing. So the Cuban guy was getting out in five days. He had just been disrespected by Chicago being called the police. A different Cuban guy who was facing a significant amount of time went up to the porter, the Cuban one, and said, hey, this dude basically just called you a cop or the police. He's called you a bitch to your face, more or less. He's disrespected you. What are you going to do about it? And the Cuban guy was like, well, nothing, because I'm getting out in five days and I don't want to stay any longer. Like, I don't want to get in a fight with this dude or, you know, cause a scene. Like, I don't want to mess up my time, dude. And the Cuban guy, the other one, was like, well, fuck that. He disrespected you. He disrespected our people. We have to do something about that. Porter says no. The other guy says yes. Porter says no. The other guy says, don't worry. I got you. 
So what that guy did, and I'll gloss over this part a little bit. So the guy disappears. He goes to the bathroom. He's off doing his thing. Now, a lot of people cook their food in the bathroom. It's, again, the only source of hot water. We can buy ramen off the store. You get a little hot water. You let your noodles sit in a bowl. Boom, you got a second lunch there. Is it glamorous? No. Is it filling? Yes. Will it probably kill me? I don't know. My sodium levels are probably through the roof. I know my blood pressure was a little high, but anyway. So he disappears for a while. Now, that guy, he was like bed number five or six. Chicago's bed is like number 12 or 14, somewhere in the middle. I'm again near the end. So I'm playing cards with Blur and whatever the the guy with the J in his name. He, the Cuban guy, he walks past where his bed is and he's carrying a little bowl. We thought this guy just cooked some food. You know, we're settling in after lunch. A lot of people did that. They would make a second lunch because, again, it was not filling. So he walks past his bed and then he like kind of turns back around and then he turns back around again. So this guy's like walking in a strange oval. And the first time he turned back around, like, I don't know. I've, it always seemed like everyone else could sense when something was about to go on. And even I felt something was off because like this guy's up, he's walking around. I didn't even really know like something had happened. Everyone's trying to sleep at this point, and we're just trying to play cards quietly. But, like, why is this guy up and around? And he turns around, and he walks past his bed again with purpose. Like, he has this stride. Like, he is on a mission all of a sudden. And he takes this bowl, this white plastic bowl that's in his hand, and he slams it down on Chicago's head while he's sleeping right on his head and on his face and just something explodes everywhere. Like he just got hit in the face with a cake, like a chocolate cake. And he sits up dazed and confused and he gets punched in the face and he gets kicked in the chest. And the guy just, the Cuban guy just takes off on him and he starts assaulting this dude out of nowhere. And fuck, it was just Chicago got no, no hits in. Like he was, Again, just sideswiped out of a like dead sleep, and now he's getting rocked by fists. So the CO comes in from uh, whatever he was doing. I don't even know where he was at, but like he comes in and he tells the Cuban guy to stop, and then the Cuban guy like kicks him one more time, punches him one more time, and. The CO's, you know, just yells, stop one more time. And he's got his hand on his taser, which is still holstered. And the human guy just takes a couple steps back and stops. And so, you know, show's over, right? No, that's when the smell hits us. Everything smells like absolute shit now. And we realize that Chicago, his head, his face, him, himself, he's covered in shit. He's covered in actual shit. This fucking Cuban guy shit in his bowl in the bathroom. And apparently he added a little bit of water or something, stirred it up and then fucking slammed it on Chicago's head. He slammed it on his face and then he assaulted this dude. Oh, my God. We they had to actually evacuate our little area because of the smell was so horrible. People were starting to throw up. 
So they took everyone out of our row, but they made rows two and three, who were closest, stay. Row four was okay. They were far enough away, but they moved all of our row over to like the tables where we would normally either have our um, day room or where we could, you know, eat if we were using that as uh, the cafeteria type setting. But yeah, they moved all of us away and it was fucking terrible. And you know what the worst thing about that story, the absolute worst thing, other than the fact like I learned that that's, I guess, Cuban's normal MO is to go with biological weapons. Uh, normally, they, from what I understand, will pee in bottles if they're trying to get the COs. They will, um, and they'll actually have the guys that they know have either STDs or some sort of uh, diseases. They will usually have them try to use either piss or shit. Sorry to be graphic, but yeah, they'll use those as weapons to target the COs. Terrible, right? So the worst part about that story about when a man got assaulted with a biological agent is that Chicago has been now told that he has to sit there and not move because it is an active crime scene. So they cuff up the, um, they cuff up the one Cuban dude, they take him away, but it takes 40 minutes for them to get a photographer to come by and take pictures of Chicago sitting there covered in shit. Uh, I mean, I can only hope that you guys understand what that is, like what that scene is. This guy is humiliated in probably the worst kind of way ever. And that story is going to follow him. Like that dude, unfortunately, has now been labeled a bitch because he just sat there and took that. Even me in like my most subdued, like, I fuck that. No, I'm going to go take a shower. I am going to take a shower. I don't. You have witnesses. You've got cameras. You do not need pictures. You're trying to tell me that all the cameras around us are not recording in this unit. Fuck that. I'm taking a shower. Nope. He just sat there. He just sat there. And that's why they had to actually roll him up and put him in a different unit because everyone in that unit already knew that he, I don't know, he would just take it like that. So they ended up moving him, taking him away. I don't even know what happened to him, but that was the most disgusting thing I have ever witnessed. Although I do have a couple other stories that are right up there with that one. But those will be for a different time, guys. Uh, Thank you for joining me on this lengthy explanation. And I hope I didn't disgust you guys too much. And I do hope you continue to subscribe, like, share, do all the things. I'm on Podbean, I'm on Spotify, I'm on Apple, Amazon, iHeart, pretty much all the major streaming services. So if you and a friend or a loved one need to find me, all you got to do is look for me. Anyway, you've been listening to The Road Less Traveled. Until next time, guys, take care.